0: south valley how is everybody today all right i love it i love it am i on do you guys hear me yeah okay okay uh good morning great to be with you guys today thank you robert and worship team can you guys help me thank them for leading us today they did an awesome job really appreciate them today. Uh so we're we're still going through this series, guys. We only have 2 weeks left in this series, What Do You Know About Grace? Today is week 5 of the sermon series. I hope you guys are enjoying it. I've enjoyed the preparation. I've just learned a lot and it's just been good for my heart. Just a reminder of how how much the world needs Jesus, right? The world needs Jesus. And there are all kinds of different people in this world coming from all kinds of different situations. And so each, each person we've, we've studied in this series, they've, they've come to Christ through a whole totally different set of circumstances. And at some point, you're going to relate to somebody in one of these stories, and maybe you already have related to somebody in one of these stories. Now, another thing that dawned on me this week, though, we are only 11 days away from Thanksgiving. Can you guys believe that? You guys ready for some turkey? I'm ready for some turkey. But but another thing I realized 41 days until Christmas. 41 days till Christmas. I absolutely love Christmas. Thomas Curtis, some of you guys love Christmas too. I love Christmas. Okay, Thomas Curtis last week. He came up here, he gave an announcement about the cool thing, the Christmas dinner, that we get to support as a church and bless families, bless some of the kids in the foster care system with with presents, so we're super excited for that. But one thing he asked, he's like, hey, i got to settle this debate. Uh, When is it the right time to start decorating for Christmas? Is it November 1st or is it after Thanksgiving? When's the right time? The answer is November 1st. Clearly, the answer is November 1st, okay? So in my family, thank you, at least five of you agree with me. And in my family, right after Halloween, it's, it's, it's Christmas time, okay? So we have, we're already decorating our house. Our kids already have their Christmas pajamas that they're wearing. We're making Christmas meals. We're watching Christmas movies. That happens first thing in November, okay? And since I'm already in the Christmas spirit, As I was preparing the sermon this week, I thought about a classic Christmas uh, movie called The Grinch. You guys remember The Grinch? We'll show him up here on the screen. There he is. Okay, that's the Jim Carrey version of The Grinch. And, And I couldn't help but think about The Grinch as I prepared my sermon. Because he's this grouchy, green creature with a tiny little heart who absolutely despised Christmas, and wanted to ruin Christmas for everybody, all the little who's down in Whoville, okay, this is the Grinch, he hated Christmas, wanted everyone to hate Christmas with him, another debate though, uh, just throw in the next picture on the screen real quick, what is the best Grinch, that was another thing that came to my mind, is it the, is it the old school Grinch, is it the Jim Carrey Grinch, or is it this new guy that just came out, this guy doesn't count to me, uh, so I don't know who's the best Grinch, but that was another thing that I was thinking this week, so those, my mind's all about Christmas right now, we know the story of the Grinch, though. We know the story of the Grinch. After stealing Christmas, the Grinch, he, he takes all the presents. He takes all the Christmas goodies. He brings it up to the top of a mountain with his little dog, Max. The mountain's called Mount Crumpet. And, he, and he's ready to dump all of the, the presents and everything into this great abyss so that nobody can enjoy the spoils, the fun of Christmas. And as he's up on that mountain and he's, his evil plan is finally, you know, it's about to go down. Then he looks down into Whoville and he sees the people singing songs around a Christmas tree. And what we learn in the story is that his tiny little shriveled up heart grows three times. He has a literal change of heart. Three times, his his heart just explodes in his chest. He saves all the presents. He brings them down the mountain. He hands them back to the Who's and he enjoys the Christmas feast with them. It's It's a warm story, a fun story, Dr. Seuss story, and I hope you guys like it because it's Christmas time. So start watching your Christmas movies, all right? The Grinch is a good story, though, because it's a story of transformation. Somebody with a shriveled heart grows a heart. Somebody who is despised by a surrounding community, somebody who wants to bring everybody down with them, who wants everyone to be miserable with them, is eventually transformed at the end of the story into somebody with love, somebody with generosity, somebody who actually cares. It's, it's a really heartwarming story. And, and, and the reason I thought about it this week is because today's sermon is about a little man with an even smaller heart. He's a little guy, and he has a shriveled up little heart. And he's the kind of man that no one believed could ever change, kind of like the Grinch. Everyone looked at this guy and thought, this guy can never change. He's always going to be miserable. He's always going to be mean. He's always going to be grouchy. He's always going to hate Christmas. But the Grinch story, uh, he's transformed. Well, in today's sermon, we're going to see a man who was grouchy and mean and rude and took advantage of others that no one believed could change. But when he met Jesus, he left that encounter transformed. Today's sermon is titled Grace Transforms. Let's pray and go ahead and turn in your Bibles right now to Luke 19, starting in verse 1. Luke 19, verse 1, I'll pray and we'll jump in. Father God, I thank you so much for the holiday season. I thank you that we had an amazing candy walk. I thank you that Thanksgiving is around the corner. As we were reminded today during worship, God, we have so much to be thankful for. Even in the hard times, painful times, confusing times, we have so much to be thankful for. I thank you for this church. I also know, God, that there are people in this church who are hurting today. There have been, it's been a tough time. There have been losses. So I just pray, Lord, for your comfort. I pray for your grace. I've loved talking about your grace because it's, it's multifaceted. God, you have so many good things for us. Even in the, in the lowest lows, in the valley of the shadow of death, you still meet us there. And, and we're going to see today even the grouchy, mean, shriveled hearts, you could transform those. And so I just pray today that we would have open hearts to you. That we would enjoy hearing your word and that we'd apply it to our lives. We love you and we praise you and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 19, starting in verse 1, this is what it says. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. You guys remember this guy? Zacchaeus, maybe you remember Zacchaeus from Sunday school. Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not. Because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. It's our passage today. Today we're gonna to talk about a guy named Zacchaeus. And, and many of you are probably very familiar with the story of Zacchaeus, it's a, and, and your probably reaction to the story is, oh, isn't this a kid's story? This is a cute little story about a, about a little guy who climbed up a tree and, and invited Jesus over for a sleepover. It's just, it's just like this fun, cute little story. It has all the makings for a classic kid's story. It's a great story to tell. I'm glad we teach it often in Sunday school, but here's the thing. Sometimes the stories we are most familiar with are the ones we need to relearn. Because if you were to study this passage and study Zacchaeus, you would learn that Zacchaeus was not just a cute little man looking for Jesus. Zacchaeus was a hardened thief. He was a thief. He was also a traitor to his own people. The passage describes him as a rich man, and what we know about these tax collectors, and especially a chief tax collector, is this. He would have built his wealth, his empire, his mansion up on the hill would have been built by stealing money from others, by oppressing his own people. Zacchaeus is not somebody that would have been celebrated in in Jewish culture. He's somebody who would have been canceled in Jewish culture. Okay, He's privileged, he's rich, he hangs out with questionable crowds, he works for the government, he works against his people, his lavish lifestyle is funded by defrauding others. That's Zacchaeus. He's not just a cute little guy trying to get a glimpse of Jesus. He is an oppressor of others, a thief, and he's ripped people off for years now, there are a few important details to pull out of these opening verses. The first is the location. We read that Jesus was passing through a town called Jericho. Jericho, just so you guys know, Jericho was a rich town. Okay? This was like ancient Beverly Hills. Okay? This, was the, this was the place everyone wanted to live, but no one could afford. Okay, Jericho. Jesus is passing through this town called Jericho. The ancient historian Josephus, he called Jericho the fattest city in the land. And uh, when he says fat there, I want, I don't think of like fat, fat. Think of pH, fat. Okay, this is like, this is a prosperous city. When he talks about Jericho, when he studied Jericho, he's like, man, this place has Everything. They're prosperous. They're rich. There's money flowing everywhere. There's good, there's good things in this city. It's a place everyone wants to live to live in, but no one can really afford. And, and, and this, is an important, this is important to, to see because it's a reminder that Jesus actually cares about the rich and powerful. He does. Jesus cares about politicians. Jesus cares about people with money. Jesus cares about famous people. And and that's important to point out because throughout this series, and and commonly when we're studying the Bible, we often focus on Jesus' ministry to the poor and marginalized. And that's that's good because the bulk of his ministry was focused on that. The bulk of his ministry was focused on the poor and the marginalized and the outcasts and, and the least of these. But as we've said over and over in this series... We know that Jesus loves all people. This includes politicians. This includes tax collectors. This includes the wealthy and the powerful and the famous. Jesus cares about all people. That said, though, Jesus also has strong warnings for the rich. If you were to go back one chapter, Luke chapter 18, Jesus has the interaction with the rich young ruler who ends up leaving Jesus and, and, and isn't saved because he doesn't want to give up his wealth and follow Jesus. And, and so Jesus, at the end of this story, he gives this, he gives this uh, warning to rich people. He says this. He says how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, let me ask you this. Can a camel really go through the eye of a needle? No, it's impossible. Camels are huge. Eye of a needle is tiny, 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 like a little piece of thread could go through it. And so they're looking at Jesus like, wow, what what does this mean for us? He may have been talking to a rich crowd. He was definitely talking to a rich young ruler like, I'm, I'm, so you're saying, I'm a camel, and, and i got to get through this needle? I can't do this. Those who, who, who heard it, they said, well, then how, how, who can actually be saved? Jesus said to them, what is impossible with man is possible with God. The story of Zacchaeus is an illustration of this point. What's impossible with man is possible with God. People would have seen Zacchaeus, would have seen his wealth, would have seen his mansion on the hill, would have seen his lifestyle, the fact that he defrauds others in order to prosper, they would have thought there's no way someone like him could possibly come to receive the Lord. And Jesus is pointing out in this, Luke is pointing out in this story, and Jesus is showing the world that what's impossible for man is actually possible for God. And, and, and this is also a warning. Why is it hard for the rich to inherit eternal life. Why is it so hard? The reason it's hard is because the rich must learn to love God more than money. They must learn to rely on the Lord more than money. They must learn to trust that their, their value and their worth is not tied up in their portfolio or their, the stock market or their 401k or their bank account, their value, their worth is tied up in the person of Jesus Christ. It's tied up in who God says that they are. Okay, So, so that's why it's so hard for the wealthy to inherit the kingdom of heaven because they're, 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 oftentimes their money and their stuff controls them versus them controlling their money and their stuff. They trust more in riches than in God. And I just want to point this out. America... If you think that that's only talking about the one percent billionaires in, in the world, it's not. America is the richest nation on the planet. The vast majority of people around the globe are living off of a dollar a day. Okay, if you make 20,000 dollars a year, you are in the top 10 like, percent like in the world. Okay, and, and so I'm just pointing that out, not, to just remind us that we all we all struggle with, with this passage. Of r- trusting in finances, trusting in stuff, trusting in status, trusting in money more than God. This isn't just for the, ri- the richest of the rich. This is for all Americans. Well, what's impossible with man is possible with God. The, the second interesting detail in this description, this, these opening verses, is uh, the reference to Zacchaeus' job title. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. Now, uh, in Jesus' day, tax collectors were the ones, were usually the wealthiest in the community. It was a very lucrative pr- profession. People, people had to pay to become a tax collector. You'd collect taxes for Rome, and you'd be very wealthy because of it. But even though it was a lucrative position, it was also very despised, the most despised p- uh, profession of all. And so locals in the New Testament, you might recall this, there were two categories for bad people in the New Testament. There were sinners, and what was the other category? Tax collectors. You guys remember that? Jesus was often maligned for hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. They're like, man, I can't believe Jesus would hang out with these people. He'd hang out with a tax collector? What's wrong with him? The tax collectors, they weren't even allowed in the synagogues. And so critics maligned Jesus for hanging out with tax collectors. Now, being a tax collector, just so you know, it's not a bad thing. But in ancient times, tax collectors was a bad thing because not only did they collect money for the government, but they also collected money for themselves. You see, Rome, in in Jesus' day, they had a very intense tax structure. There were poll taxes, income taxes, import taxes, road taxes, harbor taxes, fish taxes, ground taxes, cart taxes, the list goes on. Romans were taxed far more than we're taxed today. They were taxed, and, and the numbers were arbitrary. No one ever knew how much they owed in taxes. And so when somebody told you, you owed taxes, you just had to pay whatever it is that you were told that you owed. And so these guys, these tax collectors, they were like the ancient mafia. They would shake you down and demand your money. And then they had a quota that they had to give back to Rome so they knew what Rome wanted from them. But everything that they could collect on top of that quota got to go into their own pockets. That's why tax collectors were so corrupt. They weren't just collecting for Rome, they were collecting for their house, they were collecting for their new stuff, they were collecting to support a lavish lifestyle. And and, and so he was not just a regular tax collector, he was a chief tax collector, meaning he oversaw a district of tax collectors who all paid money up the chain and eventually went through him before it went to Rome. And so, so you could just imagine being a citizen and seeing his mansion up on the hill and, and, and remembering and being reminded in that moment that he has this lavish lifestyle because he's ripping off his own people. That's why people hated tax collectors. The third thing, though, that we read in this story that's important to point out is that Zacchaeus was small in stature. That's the part we often focus in on. He was small in stature. I was wondering this week, okay, how small is small? Well, skeletal remains from this time period suggests that Jewish men were usually around five feet tall. That was the average height of a Jewish man in, in first century Israel. So Zacchaeus would have been smaller than five feet tall. He would have been four foot something. So he's a small guy, and, and this is important to, to point out because When he hears that Jesus is coming to town, he can't get a glimpse of Jesus because of the crowds. He's a small guy, under five feet tall. Um, He's just this little guy that can't can't get get over the crowds, and so he he runs up ahead of the crowds and he climbs up a tree. This is important. This is an important detail because Jewish men. Respectable Jewish men, especially somebody who's powerful and influential like Zacchaeus, these kind of guys, they would not run in public. Kids ran in public. And you know what a Jewish man would totally never do? Climb a tree in public. He climbed a tree in public. He, he was acting very childlike. And it, it sounds cute, but it's actually laughable. He climbed a tree like a child. Why would he do that? Why would he stoop so low? Why would, he, why would he let himself look that way in public? Well, Zacchaeus was willing to make a fool of himself in order to get a glimpse of Jesus. That's why it's important that we understand his stature. He was willing to make a fool of himself in order to get a glimpse of Jesus. A couple weeks ago, I went to Disneyland. you guys like Disneyland. I love Disneyland. My kids love Disneyland, and we were there and one of the things my kids love to do is watch the fireworks show at the end of the night. And and if you want a good spot for the fireworks show, you got to go like an hour and a half to 2 hours early and sit there on the pavement and wait for the fireworks show to start. So, so they wanted to watch it, so I went there early, sat down on the it was raining that day, too. So cold, wet, dirty pavement. Sat there for over an hour and a half just so that my kids could have a good spot to watch the fireworks show. And then even when the fireworks show does start, uh, they're, they're so small. They're only five and seven. My daughter just turned seven last, last Sunday. Uh, they're so small that we have to throw them on our shoulders to, to watch to get a good view of the show. But what if, what if I loved the show so much as their dad... That I told Carly, hey Carly, will you put me on your shoulders so I could get a good view? How would that look? What, what if you guys went to Disneyland and you saw your boss sitting on someone's shoulders to get a good view of Mickey? What would you think of your vo- boss in that moment? Somebody powerful, somebody in authority. Okay, you don't sit on someone's shoulders in public to, to get a good view of a fireworks show. It's embarrassing. I would never do that, just so you know. Okay, I don't like fireworks that much. I would never do that. It's laughable. Same thing in this story. Zacchaeus was in a tree. It's laughable. I'm pointing this stuff out because the first sign that the Holy Spirit was at work in Zacchaeus was his willingness to look like a fool. That was the first sign that God was doing something in this man. God was doing something in this man and we know it because he was willing in that moment to look like a fool in public. He had a so what attitude and I want to encourage you guys to have a so what attitude. So what if I look weird praying in public? So what if I look weird opening my Bible at work? So what If it sounds strange when I talk about Jesus to my friends, so what? When the Holy Spirit is alive in you and God is working in you, all of a sudden you develop too a so what personality. Zacchaeus did not care what others thought of him. Zacchaeus would rather be up in that tree looking like a fool so that he could get a glimpse of Jesus than miss out on the most important moment of his entire life. Some of us miss out on some of the most important moments of our entire life or the lives of others because we care too much about what others think. South Valley, I want you to be able to say, so what? So what? Zacchaeus said, so what? Well what happened next? 19 verse 5 it says this. When Jesus came to the place he looked up and said to him Zacchaeus. Notice this Jesus just looked at him and knew his name. Zacchaeus hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully and he went and when they saw it They all grumbled saying, he's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus is up in a tree. He says, so what? He doesn't care what everybody else thinks. Jesus comes walking down the road. He sees the man in a tree. He looks up and he calls the man by name and he invites himself over to his house to stay the night at his house, to have a meal, to be in Zacchaeus' presence. He goes into Zacchaeus' house and names him while he's sitting in that tree. And I'm pointing this out because it's a picture of divine sovereignty. Sovereignty. Jesus knew that he would walk down that road on that particular day and run into that little man sitting in that tree. Sovereignty. My son's jujitsu coach often says this. He says, Long before Zacchaeus needed a tree, God planted a seed. Did you know that God knew you'd be here this morning? Did you know that whatever you're going through right now in your life, God is not surprised? Did you know that God knew you would live in Lemoore? That you'd attend South Valley at some point? Did you know that nothing is by accident in your world? God is sovereign. He knows you. He understands you. He's not surprised by any of the events in your life. And guess what he's doing in the hard times and in the good times? He's calling out your name. Zacchaeus, look. God's calling out your name today. The question is, will you invite him into your life? Will you open up the door Will you say, you know what, Jesus, maybe I don't understand everything going on. We know Zacchaeus was being moved by the Spirit. At some point in his life, all the riches, all the wealth, all the fame, all of that was not enough. He was realizing it was an empty pursuit. So he climbed up the tree. He was willing to risk it all. And when he saw Jesus and Jesus called his name and Jesus invited himself over to his house, Zacchaeus responded to the call. South Valley, Jesus is calling your name. He's calling your name. Some of you are here today because somebody dragged you here today. And you thought, man, there's nothing else to do. There's just foggy outside. By the way, no one told me about this fog. I don't know if I should be mad at the search team, the board, or all of you guys. No one warned me about this fog. Jesus knew I'd live in fog, okay?
1: (laughs) He was aware.
0: (laughs) Jesus is not surprised. Not surprised by what you're going through. Not surprised that you're here today. Will Will you let him minister to you? Will you open up your life? Will you open up your home? Will you open up your heart and let him minister to you? Zacchaeus did. And so Zacchaeus, he, he, he's overjoyed by this unexpected privilege. He scurries down the tree. And this time he had no trouble getting through the crowds because Jesus is calling his name. And he walks through the crowds, walks up to Jesus, all excited. And the, crowd, the crowds are there complaining, saying, he's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner? The crowd see Zacchaeus and his joy and his excitement, and they get upset with Jesus. Why? Well, the crowds, they believe that Jesus came to overthrow the government. They believe that Jesus was going to overthrow this oppressive system led by Romans. And and so why in the world would the Messiah go and dine with somebody who's lining the pockets of politicians? the, 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 The Roman government represented the enemy who took their money and took their land. How could Jesus eat in fellowship with such a traitor? That's what the crowds are seeing. That's what the crowds are witnessing. That's what the crowds are feeling. Well, one thing I want you to see here, just as Zacchaeus refused to care what others thought, so did Jesus. I can't begin to tell you how freeing it is to live for an audience of one. I can't, believe, I can't begin to tell you how freeing it is to, to hear God's voice so loudly in your life that the critics and the concerns and the complaining and the grumbling of people around you just fade away. That's what we're seeing in this story. Zacchaeus would rather listen to the voice of God than the voice of critics and the voice of everybody else and the whining and complaining around him. Jesus put his reputation on the line. For Zacchaeus. And he'd rather put his reputation on the line for this man than be concerned about what others say about him, what others think about him, what kind of gossip others will go home and share about Jesus. He, he put his reputation on the line. He put his, line on the, his reputation on the line for Zacchaeus. He put his reputation on the line for the sinful woman. He put his reputation on the line for the crippled man, the Samaritan woman. He put his reputation on the line for you. Jesus is pure and perfect. None of us should be approached by Jesus. None of us should be welcomed by Jesus. We don't have anything within ourselves that is worthy of Jesus, deserving of Jesus. Jesus puts his reputation on the line for us. He'd rather look bad and be called a friend of tax collectors and sinners than reject this moment to minister to Zacchaeus. And so one thing I want you to wrestle through this morning is this. Will you put your reputation on the line for others? Will you put your name on the line for others? Sometimes we refuse to minister to others because we're afraid of how it's going to make us look. What's it going to look like if I invite this kind of person into my house? What's going to look like if I befriend this kind of person or have lunch with this kind of person what's that going to do for my name and my reputation I have a reputation to maintain Jesus says forget your reputation people matter more people mattered more to God than his own reputation and so he entered the house of a sinner what about this Will you put your reputation on the line? We go back, sorry. Uh, Will you put your reputation on the line for Jesus? Not just for others. Will you put your reputation on the line for Jesus? Is Jesus somebody you talk about on Sundays but never mention in the office on Mondays? Is Jesus somebody that you're excited about when you're listening to your worship music, but when it comes to actually talking to your friends out in the world, like, nope, I'm not going to mention his name. He's polarizing. We're learning in this series, Jesus is polarizing, right? If you guys mention Jesus, you might get chased around a little bit. You might get a little bit of pushback. It's okay. Because whose voice matters more to you? The critics or the voice of God? Jesus and Zacchaeus were willing to put their reputation on the line, forget about what everybody else said, and focus on the mission in front of them. And so what happened? How did, this, how did this story end up? How did things pay off? Well, this is what we read. Jesus goes over to his house. And Zacchaeus stood, and he said to the Lord, behold, Lord. So Jesus is called, Zacchaeus, is, he's transformed. Jesus isn't just some teacher or some rabbi, or some guy in his house with good spiritual advice, Zacchaeus is now seeing Jesus as his Lord. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I'm going to give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'm going to restore it fourfold. Fourfold. Jesus said to him, "Today, salvation has come to this house, since He also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost." That's Jesus' mission right there. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Guess what? That's South Valley's mission right there. South Valley is here to seek and to save the lost. That's our mission. That's why Jesus came. That's what Jesus commissioned us to do. And when he entered this man's house, this man who everybody despised, this man was transformed. His tiny little shriveled up heart grew three times like the mean grouchy Grinch. And the guy who despised everybody, took advantage of everybody, he, he was transformed from being radically stingy and greedy to becoming radically generous. What we read in the story is is that he gave back not only what he defrauded from others, but he, he restored it four times. Okay, so Old Testament law, if you guys were to read Leviticus, you would learn that if you were to steal something from somebody in Leviticus, not only would you have to give it back, but you'd also have to pay a fifth on top of that. But the worst of the worst criminals when they stole something, they, would, they wouldn't have to just return what they stole. They'd have to return it times four. So Zacchaeus in this passage, he's condemning himself as the lowest common robber. And so he's vowing in this moment to give away half of his wealth and pay everything that he defrauded. Not only pay it back, but give four times back what he had stolen. And so he's transforming. I want you guys to see this. Half of his wealth gives it away. Everything he took from others gives it back times four. Zacchaeus in this passage isn't just saved and now going to heaven. He's transformed from being stingy and greedy to generous and loving. He prioritizes people over possessions. He prioritizes the salvation and the good and the love of others over his own things. And so this is a great lesson for us. What about us? Have we been transformed in such a way that now we, re, we actually we, we love people more than stuff? We love people more than money. We prioritize people and salvation over, over goods. Be, because here's the thing. Our money, our wealth, our 401k, our house, our car, our iPhone 13, our iPhone 25, 10 years from now, whatever number they're on doesn't go with us. None of it does. Didn't matter how big of an empire Zacchaeus had, not a single dollar would go with him. Somebody asked uh, uh, Rockefeller's uh, finance manager, hey, when, when he when he passed away, how much how much money did he did he leave behind? And she said, well, he left all of it. It's all left behind. We don't take anything with us. But you know who what we can take with us? People, people. We can't take our car, but we could bring our neighbors. We can't bring our iPhones, but we could bring our kids. We can't bring our bank account, but we could bring our friends. Zacchaeus realized in this moment that that he needed a, a, a reorientation of his priori- priorities. Not only did he repent of his sins, not only did he, did he show that he wanted to be forgiven and that he was forgiven as Jesus declared it, that this salvation has come to this house, but he also, he also made amends for his sins. He made amends. So here's another thing that is just a reminder for us. When we come to Jesus and we say we're sorry and we realize what we've done and we, we, we fess up and we confess and we're washed white as snow and, and we're forgiven and changed, let's, let's also think about who else do we need to ask for forgiveness from? You see, Zacchaeus didn't just get forgiven from Jesus and then carry on with his life. He was from get forgiven from Jesus and then you know what he did? He went and knocked on the doors of the people Scary as that. That's how transformed this man was. It's like the Grinch. The Grinch didn't just go back into his little hole and then, for, you know, just forget about the the whole incident. He went down the mountain, gave everyone presents, and partied with them, enjoyed the feast with them. He was transformed. Zacchaeus made amends, and so I want you to just imagine really quickly how this would play out. Everybody knew Zacchaeus. Everybody knew he was a tax collector. Everybody who knew he was greedy, that he ripped you off. Zacchaeus comes and he knocks on your door. You know the drill. Zacchaeus is there to take your money, to shake you down, to get whatever he can from you. Your first response, hide the kids. (laughs) Hide in the kitchen. Don't let them know we're here. And then you start realizing like, oh man, I can't. Hiding from the government is not fun. Hiding from the IRS doesn't work out. And so you decide in that moment, you know what? All right, let's, let's just get whatever money we got in the house. Dump it on the table. Open the door. We're going to give it to this little man that we hate. We hate this little man. Knocking on our door. Taking our money. We never know what he's, how much he wants. When he's going to show up. He knocks on the door. You open the door. You're ready to give the money away and just be like, there's nothing I could do. Take it. Just leave me alone. And Zacchaeus stops you and he says, hold on a second. I'm not here to take your money. I'm here to say I'm sorry. I wronged you. I'm a Christian now. I defrauded you. I took what was yours. I took advantage of you. I profited off of your misery. And so here, not only am I here to give you back what I took from you, but here's four times what I took from you. What would that do to you in that moment? See, that's what's happening in this story. That, my friends, is transformation. Do you guys believe today that grace transforms? Can I get an amen? Grace transforms. This man wasn't just saved. This man was transformed. And so in closing, I, I have three ways to apply today's sermon. The first is this. I want to encourage you, South Valley, and this is encouragement for me as well, to live for an audience of one. It's so freeing when we know that the voice that matters the most is the voice of God. It's so freeing knowing that the truth that we should put our lives under is not all these different narratives that are coming at us every day that we can't decipher and we don't know what's right or wrong. The truth that we put our lives under, that we build our lives on, is the truth of God's word. We live for an audience of one, Jesus lived for an audience of one when he entered Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus lived for an audience of one when he climbed up that tree. And so when I, I want to encourage you, when you feel pressured, when you feel burdened, to seek out the approval of others, put those feelings aside. Stand up. Let the Holy Spirit speak loud in you, friends. Let the Holy Spirit move in you so that your life is lived first and foremost for the God who made you and not for the approval of others. Live for an audience of one. The other way that you can apply this message today is demonstrate a transformed life. Demonstrate a transformed life. Zacchaeus demonstrated his heart change by making amends with those he had wronged. How is Jesus calling you to demonstrate transformation? He was transformed from being radically greedy to being radically generous. And and so here here's also a challenge for you. The holiday season is a great time to be generous, to increase in generosity, to bless others. Right now we're taking a special Thanksgiving offering. $15,000 of that offering is going to go straight to the community to help foster kids, to help people who need who need food and who need toys for Christmas. And so I want to encourage you church to consider Showing generosity in that area and giving to that. It's a great way to bless. The other, whatever we raise, is going to go to this campus to creating space. We're expecting new families. We've already seen lots of new families over the past few weeks. We've seen lots of salvations. We've seen salvations. We've seen, we already have over five people signed up to get baptized in a couple weeks. We've seen, God moving. We want to create space for the Spirit to work. And so everything we raise beyond that first 15,000 is going to go to a cry room, go to creating space in the lobby, go to creating space out there, making this camp. We haven't done some of these things for, for a good 15 years. And so if you want to be generous, that's a simple way to be generous today. But demonstrate, however Jesus is calling you to do it, demonstrate a transformed life. And finally, third way you can apply today's sermon, Seek after the lost. Jesus said that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I hope you're seeing throughout this sermon series, every time Jesus saves a person, he then sends that person. Every time Jesus transforms a person, he then gives them a ministry to transform others. So my encouragement to you would be to seek after the lost. Uh, I'm going to pray. If you guys need prayer this morning, we'd love to pray with you. Thank you for joining us this morning. I hope you're encouraged by Zacchaeus. I'm excited to see you guys again next week. If you you want prayer today and Jesus is knocking on your door, calling your name, come talk to me after service. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for the people in this room. I thank you so much for the story of Zacchaeus. It's a familiar one. But I also pray, God, that we would see it with fresh eyes today. I pray God that we'd remember that you love us, that you care for us, that, that you are, you, you meet us where we're at, you call our names, you and, and you invite us to open the doors of our lives. And so I pray, God, that we would open ourselves to you, whether it's for the first time whether it's we open ourselves up to being generous towards you, whether it's we open up our, our home to allow others in so that we can, we can be part of the mission to seek and save the lost, I pray whatever you call us to do, that we would live transformed lives because your grace transforms. I love you and I praise you and I thank you for this church in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great Sunday. I'll be here for prayer if you need anything.